This is episode 211 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. This episode goes back to Women's Camp 2018, Unfettered from Fear to Freedom with Julie Bernard. This is session one from Friday night, Fear-Filled to Bold and Free, Breaking the Fetter of Anxiety. going there because you know what I love to walk to the same ice cream shop every afternoon I love to be able to walk to my spot on the lake you know and I just love how comfortable it is there and I also I love having the same breakfast every single morning and I am not kidding you every single morning that I have been home which has been most mornings in the last year I've had the exact same breakfast and my daughter is here to vouch for that right it's true so I'm kind of excited for tomorrow morning when I hear you know, we're gonna have some options tomorrow morning and it'll be a little different um, I I have spent New Year's Eve with dear friends for Every New Year's Eve that I, since I graduated from high school, I think almost anyway. And I can't imagine being anywhere else on the 31st of December. So, you know, I think um, if I think about myself, I really love a good rut. I really do. It, <laughs> I do. It's true. If you know me at all, you know that I love, I love that. I do. It's comfortable. It's familiar and it's known, right? And I can just scoot right in there and stay there. And I think, you know, that's okay for the most part. Last fall, I was a little kind of thrown for a little bit of a loop because all of a sudden, um, at least it seemed like all of a sudden, we decided to sell our house and move after being there for 28 years. And we did that kind of all of a sudden because my um, father-in-law had suddenly passed away and we wanted a place for my mother-in-law and we couldn't do it at our current house. And so we moved out in the country a little bit, bought a place that we could add an apartment on for her. And so, um, you know what my biggest concern, well, no, there was actually I had a lot of concerns in that. That, that time period, but one of my concerns was, am I going to be able to shop in the same grocery store? I was really concerned about that because I didn't want to have to figure out a new store, you know, I, wanted, I knew where the produce was, I knew where the cereal that I buy is, you know, all those things, and I was really um, concerned about that. So yeah, I, I tend to toward routine. And, you know, it's, it's great. Routine is great for going to the same vacation spot if that's what you like to do. It's okay to have the same dinner on Halloween every year. That's another routine of mine. Every year we have the same dinner, and my sister calls me, did you have tacos again? Yeah, we did, and they did too, you know. Um, it's okay if you like to shop at the grocery store and they do the exact same loop every single time, right? But as I was considering that, I got to thinking, what about, what about spiritually? Am I confined to a rut? Am I um, in a place where I just prefer spiritual routine rather than a passionate relationship? Am I in a place where I act out of fear and stay in the comfortable rather than step out in faith? Am I in a place where I let doubt keep me from moving forward, keep me from jumping into the waters that Jesus is calling me to? And as I was thinking about that and just considering it for myself, I, I came up with some 
I call them diagnostic questions, just to kind of evaluate. Um, and I thought we would start there um, tonight. Some questions for you to consider as we kick off this evening. Um, number one, am I docile and complacent when it comes to spiritual things? Am I leery of being transparent, preferring to keep my real struggles hidden? Do I kind of like to isolate rather than congregate? Do I, do I lack desire to serve? Another one, is my time with the Lord and in his word more hit and miss than consistent and compelling? In other words, do I just spend time in the Lord so I, with the Lord so I can mark it off my list and move on? Or does it draw me in and I can hardly, I just can't miss it? Um, is God confined to a compartment of my life rather than my consuming desire? Do I prefer rules, regulations, and stipulations rather than relationship? And the final one is, is my life busy? And I bet you, don't you, lots of times when someone says, how are you? You answer busy, right? A lot of us can say yes to that, but the next part of the question, is my life busy but not invested in eternal things? These are all things I think would be present if we are kind of stuck in a spiritual rut and we're not willing to get out and we prefer the comfortable rather than that passionate relationship with the Lord. So this weekend, um, we're going we're gonna to consider that and we're going to consider are our lives fettered? In other words, are they chained down and are we stuck? Or are we living in the freedom that God has provided for us? And we want to get to the place where we are really free to experience the fullness of God and the delight of living for his glory. So that's where we're going this weekend. Tonight we're going to be talking about are we fear-filled or are we living bold and free? We're going to break that tether, that fetter of anxiety. Tomorrow morning we're going to be talking about going from veiled to beholding and breaking those chains of distraction that keep us from being focused and really beholding who God is. Tomorrow night, we'll be talking about, are we insecure and how that affects us? And how do we get from there to living really secure, breaking that chain of doubt? And then finally, on Sunday morning, we're going to be talking about being fettered to the glory of God. We're going to break those other chains so that we can be fettered to the glory of God. And I'm excited excited about what God has for, for us this weekend. So I wanted to um, start by reading our text for this weekend. And it's going to be 2 Corinthians 3, 7, and we're going to end up in 4.12 by Sunday. I won't read all of that right tonight. But as we, as we look at that passage in 2 Corinthians, I want you to just have a little bit of context before we drive in, dive into it. So first of all, um, Paul is writing this letter, the second letter that he writes to the believers in Corinth. 
And he's doing it because they're having troubles and they're having problems. And he writes to them because he wants to um, correct their wrong thinking and he wants to really reassure them that he loves them and he is for them and that he has a message of hope and freedom for them. So let's, um, let's read 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 18 as we get started. All right. 2 Corinthians 3, starting with verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Wow, right? That was a lot. That's a lot of good stuff in there, and we're going to work our way through it through the weekend. But first of all, what I want you to notice is that Paul, for the Corinthians and for us, is saying, hey, let's look. There's this huge contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and he's making sure that they understand that because that was going to be key to them living in freedom. And so he says, you know, the Old Covenant leads to death. The new covenant leads to life. The old covenant came, was going to come to an end. It came to an end. And the new covenant is permanent. The old covenant led to condemnation. And the new covenant leads to righteousness and freedom and life. And you can see in these verses that he, um, he, he uses the example of Moses, right? He draws on what happened in Exodus 33 and 34 to really explain to them how important it was that they understood the new covenant. And so you remember, I just want to read, we won't read two chapters right now, but I just want to refresh your memory. Um, so remember, God chose Moses to lead the, his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, right? Led them through the Red Sea, um, provided the manna for them so that they wouldn't be hungry. And then at a point in time, God calls Moses up to the mountain. And he, Moses comes up to the mountain, and God gives him the tablets of stone that 
Paul is referring to with the Ten Commandments on it. And while Moses is up on the mountain, the people got tired. They got tired of waiting, and so what did they do? They took their gold jewelry, maybe their gold candlesticks, they gathered up all the gold they could, they melted down, and they formed it into a golden, a golden calf, right? So a god of their own making is what they did, and they bowed down and worshipped it while Moses was up on the mountain with God. And then Moses comes back to the people, and he sees what is happening, and he is so angry, and he throws the tablets down, and they break. Then Moses goes back up to the mountain again, right? He goes up to meet with God again. And meanwhile, all the people down below they're wondering, what is going to become of us, right? Because one thing, God had struck them, and they were suffering because God had struck them with a plague, and so they're down at the mountain, they're uncomfortable, they're suffering, they recognize, man, we have made a mess of it. We made an made a, what were we thinking? You know, we made a God out of gold, out of my earrings, right? And they're, they're wondering, what, what is happening? They're feeling hopeless. They're feeling helpless. And you can sense that there's got to be fear in them, right? They're waiting, they're suffering, they're wondering. Meantime, Meantime, Moses is up on the mountain meeting with God, and it says in Exodus that he is meeting with God as a man meets with a friend. So there they are, up on the mountain, and Moses is talking face-to-face -face with God, and he says to God, oh God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. We talk of God's glory, right? We talk of it, and it's it's hard to even try to put it in a description, describe it, but in just a little bit of a meager attempt, because it really is impossible to describe God's glory. But what we want to say is God's glory is his character. It's what puts God in a class all his own that nobody anywhere ever has or ever will compare to. It's his infinite beauty. It's his greatness. It's his worth, his mercy, his compassion. It's his power, his holiness, and his character. And so when Moses um, asks God, will you show me your glory? God says, yes. But it's too much for you to handle all at once, so I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to put my hand over you. I'm going to pass by you. And then he does, and as he's passing by... He takes his hand away, and Moses gets to see part of God's glory, the backside of God's glory. And he is overwhelmed, right? So much so that his face is aglow. And then he returns back down to the people. And remember the people, they're not privy to all that's happening up here, right? They're still, still, still wondering what is going to become of us. And I, I want you to look real quickly at one verse, and it's Exodus 34.30. As Moses returns, this is 
It sums up a lot right here, ladies. <laughs> Exodus 34:30. Moses comes down. He comes down with um, two new tablets, right? With the law written on it. <clears throat> and here's what it says. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid. They were afraid to come near. Why were the Israelites afraid? I think they knew. And the law, in, in fact, pointed out to them that they were never going to be able to measure up. They were never going to be able to be good enough and that they deserved God's judgment. That they were condemned now. They'd been exposed for who they really were, and they were afraid. They were fearful. And what does fear do? It paralyzes, doesn't it? Keeps us stuck. I looked up um, what preschoolers are fearful of. I thought I should know this because I think I have five grandkids that are preschoolers, two that are in school. So. Um, some of the things preschoolers are afraid of, the sound of a toilet, I think that explains a lot why potty training can be so hard. They're afraid of the sound of the toilet. Closets, they're afraid of closets, of thunder. Um, they're, they're afraid of slides and bouncy houses, but we take them there for fun, right? But sometimes they're afraid. They're afraid of water and baths and pools. You know what? Um, we kind of laugh, you know, at some of those three-year-olds and the things they're afraid of. But the truth is, you and I are afraid at times too, right? We're fearful too. It's just that the things that we're afraid of um, are just a little more sophisticated, right? A little more sophisticated. Just recently, I mean, oops, sorry about that. I think maybe a month ago or maybe a little bit longer ago, there was a survey that went out to the women's ministry leaders of the CB Northwest. So your women's ministry leaders filled out a survey, and one of the questions was, what are your women fearful of? And here's what came back. Health and old age, um, safety for children and self, which is Man, our kids are in the middle of it, right? All that the culture is imposing on them, it's no wonder moms are, they have a fear about that, right? Um, financial security, there's a fear of failing, rejection, loneliness, judgment, and abandonment. That's us, ladies. That's us in this room. This survey was taken of you, right? And we're, it's not that surprising, really, when we see these results come in. In fact, Paul Tripp says that our fears are basically in three categories. And he says, number one fear is a fear of self. Now, you know, it's true. When I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror, I'm like, that is very scary. It is, you know, all the crinkle lines and all the things. It is a little bit scary, but that's not the kind of fear that I'm talking about. We have the same kind of fear that the Israelites had. We fear, too, 
that we aren't enough. We fear failing, right? We fear, too, that we are going to be exposed for who we really are, so we stay stuck. We fear that we're never going to be good enough. And you know what the truth is? That's revealed to us even in the, the greatest commandment of all, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And as much as we want to, we know ourselves, right? We can't even do that, right? Fear of self. The other side of that coin is that we fear others. Remember when you were in junior high? And one of your, well, I'll just speak for myself. Maybe you didn't have this fear. But in junior high, um, one of the biggest fears I had was just not being accepted, being rejected, right? That I wasn't going to fit in. And I think um, we actually have that same fear today. We just mask it a little better. But it even showed up in the survey that we would be, that women are fearful of rejection, of loneliness, of judgment, of abandonment. We're also fearful of our circumstances and the future. We fear, I fear sometimes, a lot of times, that things are never going to get better and sometimes afraid that they're actually going to get worse, right? I fear that. I fear the things that um, our kids have to face today. I fear a lot of what ifs. I imagine things that don't even happen, but I'm still afraid of them, you know? And our, our future is uncertain. We don't know. We don't know if we're going to um, be found in prosperity or our poverty or if we're going to have good health or we're going to get that call, that dreaded call of dreaded disease. We don't know. We don't know if we're going to get to enjoy flourishing, thriving relationships or if it's going to be a lot of hurt and pain. We don't know. We don't know. But we fear those things, and fear paralyzes us, and it chains us. And just like the Israelites, it keeps us from drawing near, drawing near to God and drawing near to one another. But... 2 Corinthians chapter 3 does not end with that. It offers us great hope and answers for our fears. Our fears at the very deepest level. The Israelites were afraid because the law pointed out to them that they weren't enough. And that law that Moses brought down revealed their shortcomings. But... Why does it say the law is still glorious? Because the law points to our need for the Savior. The law says so clearly you never are going to be enough, you can't be enough, but there's good news. We have great hope. Verse 12 said, since we have such hope, we are very bold. The new covenant Jesus brings us life and hope. There's no place for fear inside the promises of the new covenant. And what is the new covenant? 
It's the gospel. Now, I want you to stay with me on this. It's the gospel. And I want you to stay with me because I personally spent years, years saying, oh, yeah, the gospel. I could recite to you 1 Corinthians 15, right? For I delivered to you as in first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. I could tell you that verse since I was five years old. And I understood completely, at least I thought, but I didn't. Hang on. I thought of it for years and years and years that it was my ticket to heaven. And I loved the gospel for that, that I was sure of eternity because of that. In fact, in second grade, I just, I really, really, really loved my second grade teacher, Ms. Kornheiser. And she was Jewish, and I, so I thought she really needed to know the gospel because I knew at some point I was going to graduate from second grade, and I wanted to be able to see her again. So I thought, well, if she believes in Jesus. If she believes in the gospel, someday I'll get to see her again. So I shared the gospel with Miss Kornheiser in second grade. And you know what? Sadly, for years and years, I believed that that's what all the gospel was about, was just that I had a ticket to heaven, and I was thankful for that. But it wasn't until, I don't know, probably four years ago, that God really showed me. And that's why I want you to stay with me, because it could be that you're just like me, and the gospel is your ticket to heaven, and you're thankful for it, but you don't see the relevance of it for every single day of your life. And that is what Paul is trying to encourage the Corinthians, oh, Grab on to the hope that you have. Believe in the power of the gospel because it's going to break your chains, all those troubles. Because the gospel produces people that are passionate about God. And the gospel produces people that love other people. And the gospel produces lives that are lived for his glory. No room, no room for fear. We have such great hope. And I want to run through just a couple things that you're going to get to have, we'll have up on the screen. Um, certain things that the gospel shouts. Can we get that up there? The gospel shouts to us. Because, see, the gospel is a lot more than just something that we can recite or regurgitate. It has life for us every single day. The first one is that he is for us. He is for us. He is for each one of you who have put your faith in Christ. He would not have sacrificed his son for you if he was not for you. He loves you. That's what the gospel shouts. He loves you, and he's demonstrated that love when we were still sinners. His work is finished. Jesus declared that on the cross, right? It is finished. There's nothing more that he has to do, and there's nothing more that we have to do. It is finished. The gospel also shouts to us, if we just have ears to hear, that he only has compassion and deep affection for each one of us. 
He has no wrath, no ounce of wrath in his heart for us. Jesus took all of that wrath for us on the cross. There's none left. He already sees us as completely forgiven and completely righteous. He claims us as his daughters. And all the benefits that go, that go with being heirs with Jesus are ours. They're ours, not just for that day we get to be with him in heaven, but every single day between now and then. He's given us free access into his throne room. We get to come into his presence with confidence because of the gospel, because of what Jesus accomplished for us. And Jesus, he longs, the gospel tells us that he longs in that gospel message, that he longs for us to repent and confess, and he freely forgives and restores. Hey, isn't that what the Israelites needed to know? Isn't that what the people in Corinth needed to know? That's what we need to know God wants us to come to him. He wants us to repent. He wants us to confess. And he's going to freely forgive and restore us into relationship with him. The gospel also shouts to us that he will cause every trial to do good unto us. Think about it, ladies. This is the most amazing thing. The crucifixion, right? The worst possible way to die, a sinless man taking all of our sins on him, suffering the worst possible death ever, and the most amazing result. God took even the worst possible scenario, and he caused it to do good for every single one of us, and he is going to do that same thing in our lives He's going to cause every trial to do good unto us. It also shouts that he is all-powerful. God raised Christ from the dead. That's all-powerful. And he has freed me from the chains of sin. His resurrection pronounced victory over sin. So much that the gospel shouts out to us. It's not just our ticket to heaven, but it gives us new life, real life, abundant life, victorious life, free life every single day between now and when we get to be with him in eternity. So now, let's go back. Let's consider um, those fears that we identified, all right? And let's look at how the gospel can inform and chain, change and break the chains of our fears, okay? So that very first fear that we talked about, that fear of self, right? That we're not ever going to be enough, that we're not going to be able to um, measure up, will never be acceptable. What does the gospel Shout to us about that. The gospel agrees with us. You're right. You're not enough. 
but it's okay because Jesus is. We don't have any need to isolate. We don't have any need to try to cover up um, the messes of our life because Jesus has paid for it all already. We can admit our failures without fear. You know what? Your sin, it shouldn't shouldn't shock me because I know my own sinful heart, right? I don't have to hide it from you. I can admit to you the truth of my struggles, my troubles, and then we can claim victory over those because of the gospel. We don't have to be afraid. We can draw near. We can draw near to God. Those fear of others, fear of others that we um, talked about, that we're not going to measure up to them, we're not going to uh, measure up to their expectations. And um, that, the, the thought that, I don't know if you ever do this, but sometimes, you know, because I'm afraid of what you think of me, I make decisions on how I'm going to live and do and be because I want you to accept me, Right? We don't have to do that. We don't have to be afraid if we are going to be accepted by others. Why? Because the gospel tells us that I am already accepted. I am already loved. I am completely cherished. And in fact, the gospel tells me that I have a new identity. Jesus has given me a new identity. My identity has nothing, absolutely nothing, to do with my standing with you if you accept me. My my identity is totally found in Christ. That's what the gospel tells us, right? That identity can never be stripped away. We didn't earn it in the first place. We certainly don't deserve it. It's a free gift to us. Now we get to choose to live in that new identity that God has provided for us. The last area of fear, those fear, um, the fear of circumstances and maybe the unknown future, those are real. When we're fearing about the situation that we're in, how it's going to turn out, is it going to turn out? Fear that maybe it'll get worse. You know what? If we really think about it, the fear of circumstances, what's at the root of that? I think a lot of times the root of our fear about our circumstances is that we fear we're not going to be able to control it. Right? But some things are just too much. We try. Oh boy, do we try. We try to manage people. We try to work out situations. We try to make, do all the things, right? To make it all work out because we want to control it because we're afraid. We're afraid that it won't. But the gospel helps us release that control to the one who is all-powerful and is, does all, all right and good. The gospel breaks that chain. Every circumstance, he is working for good. 
He knows all the hairs on our head, all the numbers of our days that he has planned out for us, every single step that he wants us to take. He has it all planned out for our good and for his glory. The gospel tells us that so clearly. So I... I, wanted, I just want to bring this down to a real-life circumstance. Um, I, I think it was four years ago. It's about this time of year, maybe a couple weeks later. I'm not sure. Maybe it was three years. Anyway, it was a few years ago. And um, my daughter, who's actually here tonight, she was um, in Haiti, and she was working at an orphanage. And my husband and I, we were camping at our favorite campground that we go to every year at Lake Tahoe. And we, we got this call, but the thing is, the internet's a little bit shaky when you're there, which is one of the things I like, you know, because you kind of unplug, except for in this circumstance, because we got this call from her from Haiti, and she's, she was telling, she was showing us, you know, with the little thing that she had this really bump on her leg, and it was really painful, and the she had gone to the clinic, but um, they were like, uh, we think it's MRSA. And I didn't really know a lot about MRSA, but I knew it wasn't good. And, um, and, and then my sister was with me at the time, and she's like, that is very bad, very bad. I'm like, oh, no. And you know how quickly fear grips you, right? Because I'm, I'm, in, I'm at Lake Tahoe with this very shoddy internet that we can't really connect and um but I'm getting little snippets you know and and um there's absolutely nothing I can do what we did do was drive to Sacramento where we could get on a plane really quickly but what we found out was that they had decided that they were going to um send Carrie get her on a plane get her out of Haiti and and to Florida where she could get medical care I can't help it, but I am a mama bear, and this is my baby girl, although she was not a baby. But you know how quickly fear can grip you, right? And I'm like, I, I got to get I gotta get to Florida. I got to get there before she does. Well, you know, it's what, a three-hour flight from Haiti to Florida, if it's that long? And it's six hours, and I'm like, I don't know how, you know, you know how just that fear gets you, you know? And my husband and I are trying to figure out what to do, and where, you know, how can we fix this, right? We can't fix it. We can't fix it. So what do we do? Do we let fear very tempting? I'm not going to tell you I didn't have some fearful moments in that time I did. I did, absolutely. And we do. Fear can come in, right? Because we find ourselves in the middle of real-life circumstances that are difficult, and they're hard, and they're not even the what-ifs. You know, they're just real, right? They're happening right here, right now. So what do you do? What do we do? We go back to the truth of the gospel. It's all I could do. All I could do was say, Lord, you cause all things. You're going to turn this. You can. You will. And I know it because you proved it when you sent your son and took the most horrific circumstances and made the best result ever for all of humanity. You can do that in those circumstances too. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. But because of the gospel, because you proved it, because that's what your character is, 
I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe that you're going to turn this into good. I don't know how. And here's the thing. I don't get to define good, right? I don't get to define that. God defined it when he said, I'll turn it into good. The good is that I will make you more and more like my son. Your image more and more. Thankfully, um, I never did make it to Florida. She did, thankfully, in a family that she had just met two weeks prior that was on a missions trip. They drove, what, five hours, Carrie, to meet you? She hardly even knew them. Um, picked her up from the airport, took her to the emergency room, took her home for two weeks, cared for her, and now they have the sweetest relationship. The sweet, she was just in their daughter's wedding this summer. God, I, all those times, all those things, all the things that come up, right? We don't have to fear. They don't have to chain us down. Whether that be my own, um, I don't think I'm good enough. Whether that be, I'm afraid you don't think I'm good enough, right? Or whether that be just the tough stuff of life. We don't have to fear. The gospel breaks that chain, absolutely rips it apart, and allows us to live boldly. That's what Paul was telling the Corinthians. You can live boldly because of the gospel. Moses saw the backside of God's glory, right? And we get to see the fullness of God's glory in Jesus. We have the privilege of seeing the fullness of God's glory because it's revealed in his son, Jesus. Goodness. And as we encounter the glory of God, we're going to be changed. Moses, just the backside, right? And his face was aglow. He was never the same again. And as we encounter the glory of God, we're going to be changed too. And here's the thing, ladies. The glory of God in its greatest density is in the gospel. About that. The glory of God in its greatest density is in the gospel message. The gospel proclaims the character of God. So listen, listen to what the gospel has to say. Listen to it. Your fears will, they'll melt away. They will, and you'll be able to live bold and free. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for the gospel message. Lord, thank you for our ticket to heaven that we get to live in eternity with you, but that, thank you too, that your message of great hope, the message that your son came, died, took our sins on himself, was buried and rose again, has implications for every single day of our life. And because of it, we do not have to live in fear. We can live boldly. Thank you, God. We give you great praise and thanks for that. 
in your son's name. Amen.